0: Happy New Year, Shana Tova, and welcome. Being that we are the beginning of the new Hebrew year, which is really a universal year, coming from Rosh Hashanah, going to Yom Kippur, the Holy Year's Day of the Year, we have very powerful and universal lessons from this period in time. And namely, what we will be discussing now is how to make amends with somebody, how to make amends with someone. Every one of us, at some time or other, may have hurt someone, may have wronged someone. And uh, often we ignore it, we avoid it, we deny it, we minimize it. But there are times when we really think about it and realize we have to do something about it whatever the motivation may be. And the question is, what do you do about that? But before you talk about what to do about it, it would be good to know what really happens when we hurt one another. And whether this is a, a loved one, a friend, a stranger. Well, we make mistakes, sometimes deliberate, sometimes it's not a mistake in an inadvertent way, but something quite intentional. Unfortunately, we live in a world with as much injustice done, and we're all guilty at some point of doing something wrong to another. So this is the topic we're going to speak about because, as we shall discover, one of the most noble and most powerful demonstrations of human dignity is the ability to make amends. Yes, we make mistakes, we make errors, but not to allow it to fester and to continue, but to correct it. But do we know the impact of our behavior on ourselves, on others, on the universe? Because if we did, we clearly would be far more forthcoming and far more vigilant in dealing with these issues. And this is the time of the year when we do it. Yom Kippur is called the Day of Atonement. You can say it's a day of making amends, both between our human being and God and between one another, one person to another. That's why there's a series of laws that actually regulate and designate of how one has to ask forgiveness from those that we may have hurt and how they're obligated to give forgiveness. But we'll be talking now more about our end of it. So the question is, what is the significance of making amends before we get into the importance of doing it? And how to do it. And what happens if you don't feel that guilty? What happens if you can get away with it? Has anything long-term damage been done? And the answer is absolutely. So let's begin with that. The interesting thing is the word in Hebrew for forgiveness is mechila. That's the noun, forgiveness. To forgive, the verb is mochal, limchil. And you'll see that word used often, especially in the Yom Kippur services, which is next week. What is the meaning of the word mechila, forgiveness? So mechilos has another meaning with those three letters, Machal it means circle. A machal is a circle. What's one connected to the other? Absolutely. Life, especially the beginning of life, when things are completely healthy, visualize, imagine, A circle, a perfect circle. A circle is a complete sphere, unbroken. As a matter of fact, it's continuous. For some, it's a symbol of infinity because where does the circle begin, where does it end? Where's the top, where's the bottom? When it comes to a square, a rectangle, other shapes, a triangle, the edges define as parameters but here, there's no edge. There's a perimeter. However, there's no top, no bottom. And that's a complete circle. A circle symbolizes the seamless unified state of every human being in its most pristine form. When a little newborn, when a child is a fetus in its mother's womb, it's completely surrounded like a circle. When fish are in the water, in the sea, They're completely submerged. When we are completely intact, our circle is complete. What happens when there's a break, when someone betrays another, when we violate one another, when we hurt another? A crack happens in that circle. Whether it's the circle of our homes and families or circle of friends or circle of our community. Circles are entire, complete entities. And a break in the circle is the loss of innocence, the breach that takes place, so therefore when you forgive, you ask for forgiveness and you're forgiven, you, you, you um, fix, you repair that break, that breach, and the circle becomes complete again. And that's why the word comes from the word mechila, mocha, circle. In more Kabbalistic terms, mystical terms, I'm sure you've heard this concept I've spoken about a number of times. Extremely po- poetic and eloquent concept that the Arizal of Isaac Luria, the great 16th century Kabbalist, revealed the Seid HaTzimtzum, it's called, the secret of Tzimtzum. And this is the way he describes it. Again, visually, even though it's all metaphorical, that there was a point, and here we're talking about conceptual point because there's no time, where everything was encompassed with the, what he calls the infinite, divine, infinite light, encompassed everything. Everything means everything that will be everything that was. Think of it like a sea, an ocean. Everything is submerged in there, that divine consciousness. It's a seamless unity, an integral unity, with no room for any other identity. There's no duality, there's no plurality. Seamless consciousness, complete focus. So then how can any existence, any independent identity, any independent ego and personality emerge is due to the fact that the next stage was a concealment of that presence, of that consciousness. So the word for ur energy, is a form of divine consciousness. A concealment, what he calls the tsimtsum, which can be translated as concentration, contraction. But concealment is probably the best word, a total concealment, leaving, as he explains, a circle. But think of this as like a hole in the bagel and surrounded completely, equanimously, by the light, and the circle is complete. And he explains why it has to be a circle, because if you want to create a proper structure, you cannot have a square, you cannot have unequal distance. You need equal distance from the circle. And then comes a narrow, thin, what he calls kavachut, a narrow, thin line and thread of light. A stream of consciousness enters, from that infinite divine light, but now there's space. Space has been created for another. And this analogy carries through in anything in life. I talked to before about a child, or a student for that matter. If a teacher just allows all his brilliance to be unfiltered and just expressed without any concealments, it would overwhelm any student, any child. So what the teacher does, he conceals that brilliance in a total way, and then slowly streams, thought by thought, spoon-feeding it into the student, which now has been left space for the student to emerge. A mother has space in her womb for a child. We all create space for another when we have a relationship. So on one hand, we need to somewhat withhold our own intense energy to allow for another to emerge. On the other hand, we have to communicate and connect with them. So it's interesting, the circle here in this way creates the space. But then comes the connection, that stream of consciousness. Now, unfortunately, because independence has now been created and now you do have a duality, you have separate entities, if they don't cooperate, they can end up becoming divisive. And divisive can lead to the breach that I described, where one person hurts another. In a seamless divine conscious unity, there's no room for any breaches, there's no room for any hurt, because there, no, there are no two entities. As soon as you leave space for another, right away, you have immediately you have the situation where the other can decide not to cooperate. Or the different others can decide not to work hand in hand. So the intention of the circle was not to conceal as an end in itself. To create separation. It was separation in order to reunite and reconnect. But this time in a form of harmony, of independent entities can work together in a cooperative and coordinated way. Harmony. So, yes, there's no risk when you only have one Consciousness, one divine consciousness. Once you have more than one, meaning more than one consciousness, an independent entity, an ego, independent consciousness, there's immediately room for conflict. It doesn't have to be that way, but it's possible. If there was only one color on earth in existence, there was only one sound, it couldn't create any chaos, because there's only one sound. As soon as you have many sounds, many voices, many different colors, many different shapes and forms, it has the potential for chaos and noise and clutter, or worse, or has the potential for organizing it in a way that it comes together in a beautiful harmony. And that's what we call beauty, harmony within diversity. So diversity has the potential for, a, for conflict and divisiveness, but it doesn't have to go that way. Diversity can end up becoming an even richer beauty than that single cell or that single color or a musical note that it preceded it all. So you, could almost as- you can associate it with the numbers one, two, and three. One is a singularity. Two is a duality, with the potential to go either way. And three is harmony. Symbiosis of taking many different forces and working, putting them in the right order and connecting them. And that's a tremendous innovation because on level one, you didn't have the potential for any diversity, for differences. And now you do, and it still works hand in hand. Bring it back to our discussion, the only reason one person can hurt another is because we're different entities. The Talmud, Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud says it in very beautiful terms. Is it possible for one hand to hit another hand? No, because it's one entity. Does it make sense? If your left hand does something wrong, the right hand is going to punish it? We know, unfortunately, in the diseases, autoimmune diseases, where the immunity system turns on the body itself, it's one of the most horrendous type of situations. Because the body that's supposed to work well together is now rejecting. One part is rejecting another as if it's a stranger, as if it's an alien intruder, an invader. So the beauty of the human body is that it's very diverse, but it works together in a healthy, balanced way when it's healthy. So when one person hurts another, wrongs another, in any other way, damages or destroys or betrays or violates, abuses, you name it, the circle, the circle that was meant to be a place where independent entities emerge in order to connect as one, like in a circular form, like a circle, has been severed, has been somewhat cut, breached. And now we need to bridge the two. So when you talk about making amends, it's not just the right thing to do in the sense, you hurt someone, of course it's right for you to ask for forgiveness, right for you to correct it and amend. Some way repair the situation. That goes without saying. But it's much deeper. What you've done is... You have violated the universe, the, unit, the integral unity of all of existence. So you haven't just violated the other person, you've also violated yourself. You've betrayed yourself. You've betrayed existence itself and the universe itself. Because all of it was meant to be a nice, beautiful circle. And you have broken the circle in some way. So then we come to this period of time in the year. Which we'll explain in a moment why this time of the year, and we have the opportunity to mend, to repair, to correct. So there's an analogy. I believe I've discussed this more than once, that talks about this period in time, a verse in the book of Isaiah. That says, "Beseech God or reach out to God in these uh, when He can be found." Call out to him when he's close. So the obvious question is, what do you mean when God can be found or when he's close? Isn't God always present? The answer is, there's times with more concealment, less concealment. From God's perspective, it's equal. It's a circle. Equally close. But from our perspective, to use an analogy, a beautiful analogy, every soul is like a spark. But like a spark, a spark is always connected to a mother flame. The spark orbits throughout the year, and then there comes a point every year where the spark gets closer, or the source gets closer to the spark. What happens when a small flame gets closer to a larger flame, especially a mother flame? It begins to be drawn to it. You ever see two flames? It's like literally like a kiss, to the point they melt into one, where you can't even distinguish. Put one flame. Take a flame. Take another flame. It's a very interesting phenomenon, but it's not just a scientific phenomenon. It actually is a tremendous lesson in life, because our spark, which is our divine soul, says the soul of God, the soul of a human being is the flame of God. A flame, it's like a flame, but a flame can be orbiting and not sensing, or at least not consciously sensing, all the time in the most powerful way its source. But there comes a point in the orbit where they come as close as possible to the point that they join as one. That's this period of year. Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Those are the 10 days that we call the 10 days of return. What does return mean? It's the flame returning to its source. And that even the flame senses some deeper connection, some transcendence. That is why we have in this period of time more opportunity and easier and it's more auspicious to be able to correct the breaches of the circles in our lives. So every relationship we have is a form of a circle. Relationship with ourselves, with others, with family members, with loved ones, with strangers. And that circle can be a complete circle as it is usually in the beginning of our lives and then there are breaks. And then we have this opportunity as the flame gets closer to the source to go ahead shine a light, and focus on where the crack is. What can I do to mend and amend? So when you think of it that way, it also is a remarkable lesson in human responsibility. Our behavior, our actions make a big difference. To use the analogy of the butterfly effect in physics that a butterfly flaps its wings in Kansas City, which can create a typhoon in Singapore, a flap of a wing is going to create such a powerful storm? The answer is yes. Because it's not about the quantity of it. It has a qualitative power that can actually transform things. And the words that Maimonides, he puts it so beautifully, about these days of the year. He says a person should always look at himself or herself as their good deeds and and negative things they've done, are equally balanced on on a scale, the two ends of the scale. So everything is equal. One good deed can tip the scale and bring personal and global redemption. That's what the Ramanides writes. Obviously the negative is also true, but I I want to focus on the positive. It's essentially the butterfly effect long before that term was ever coined or even appreciated. The idea that an act creates a ripple effect that ripples through all of existence, not just this material world, but all the cosmic levels, all the spiritual levels, and has impact, both for good and, God forbid, and unfortunately also for negative. So when there's a breach, one person just hurts and insults another so you can think, what's the big thing in the scheme of things? Seven and a half billion people and counting. Billions and trillions and trillions and trillions of cells and universes and solar systems and stars. I mean, you name it. Even on Earth itself, the multitudes, the multitudes of species and creatures and each creature with its complex structure. One little act of one person somewhere. Yes, because it's not quantity we're talking about. We're talking about quality. We know a human being has between 35 and 75 trillion cells. One cell, one mutation, one, can wreak havoc. An additional or lacking one. Today we understand this like never before. You look at a computer program. It could have millions of lines of code. Add one dot or take away one dot. And the whole code could be destroyed, and even become destructive. Want that? So the analogy given for it is like, we'll go out on a sailboat, or on a boat, group of people, everyone paid their, their, their uh, the fee. We'll go out on a nice sightseeing trip in some beautiful ocean. As they're going, one of the people is seen suddenly drilling a hole under his own little seat in the boat. And the others say, what are you doing? He says, I paid for this seat. I'm not drilling it under your seat, I'm drilling it under my seat. What's the answer? We're all in one boat. Your little hole is gonna affect us all. So it's not about whether it's small or whether it's under your seat. When you understand the universe as one long boat, one big boat, one big vehicle, then one little speck, one fiber, one cell affects it all. In the human body, someone will say, you know what? Who cares about the toes, the human toe? But the toe, God forbid, an infection will affect the entire body if it's not contained and controlled. Because there's an integral unity. We don't live anymore in the, in the illusion of a fragmented universe. It's very clear this universe is integrally unified. The fact that you and I don't see it, read about it, and more importantly, study the universe. You see the symbiosis, you see the ecosystems and how they all interact with each other and far more than we'll ever even know. That's how complex it is. Like the human body, which is a small universe. So a detail in one corner affects everything. And Maimonides said it so beautifully a thousand years ago almost, In the context of human behavior and human actions and human choices, our choices matter, not just to us, not just to the people around us, not just to the people we interact with, but to the entire Picture. And once you think of it that way, hurting another is hurting everything. Somewhere, something has given. So, from one corner of your body, somewhere, it's a little crack, a little schism, a little severing, it affects the entire body, whether you know it or you feel it or not. So, that just compels us to look at this far more seriously and with far more accountability and responsibility. Because it's not just that we want to correct the breach, we want to make sure it's whole, because when it's healthy, everyone is also healthy. So that's the positive side. It's not just when one corner is hurt, everything is hurt, it's also when all of it is healthy, you become healthy, and the person that you interacted with becomes healthier, and everyone around you becomes healthier, and the community, and and ultimately the world at large and beyond. So that gives an entire new gravitas new gravity to the power of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, in this time of the year. Because you're talking about the central nervous system. Rosh Hashanah is the head, central nervous system, the control center. And what's done now impacts, not just now, it impacts everything all the time. And truth is, it's all the time that way. But there are times in the year when it's more pronounced, when it's more amplified. And thus, we have the responsibility, and the gift, I would say, we have the ability to correct to ask for forgiveness, to make amends and come away not just back to square one before the break and breach took place but now far stronger because when you come back after something's been broken, you fix it then it creates, it gives it a certain type of immortality when a contract has been challenged and and upheld, you can't challenge it again like an appeals court. There's a point where you go to the Supreme Court, no more appeals, and now it's been upheld. It's stronger than it was in the beginning because in the beginning you could still appeal it and challenge it. And now it's withstood challenge. It's proven itself. It's like a relationship, a marriage. God forbid there was some type of betrayal. But then they're able to repair and reconcile. Then you come back even stronger because you've seen you were able to withstand the break. That demonstrates that there's even deeper love than the betrayal was despite the, the pain and not in any way minimizing what, the, what betrayal does. And the same is true in the context of making amends. When we repair, we're not just repairing and, okay, now we, have, we had it broken, now it's fixed. We actually create a deeper bond that allows us to say to ourselves, look, we've gone through this type of break, and now we've discovered that we're connected anyway, and we could make amends. And then, as going back to the analogy of the symptom. When the divisiveness leads to problems and then you find unity afterwards, the harmony is even deeper because now you've seen the dark side and now you come back even stronger and more committed and more passionate in addition to new energy being drawn down in the effort of having to reconcile because you have to dig deeper. So with that said, so we've talked about the importance of making amends the importance of asking for forgiveness, the importance of looking back at your year and your life and saying, who have I hurt? What can I do about it? And even though pride comes into play and ego comes into play, shame, yet when you understand the consequences, when you understand the implications and the stakes and how important it is to make the circle complete again, that's a great motivator. It's not about humiliating you. It's not about hurting you. It's about correcting something that needs to be corrected and will change the universe for the better forever and ever. So now let's talk about the second half of this discussion, which is the method. How? How do we make amends? Now, obviously, it goes without saying. Nothing goes without saying, so everything has to be said. It begins with your own integrity and sincerity. Many people make amends because they know that if they make amends, they may gain something from it if they need that person or their reputation may have been tarnished or whatever it may be. So first of all, even if it's ulterior motives, we're not afraid of ulterior motives because at least begin with something. It's better than not doing anything. But obviously, it's really a test of one's integrity. And understanding and appreciating that somebody has been hurt, being sensitive to that, and you may have been a perpetrator, or a participant, is a tremendous act of courage and a tremendous act of human dignity. Because you don't allow the shame and the humiliation and your own pride to undermine the need to re- reunite the circle. So the first step is integrity, which should give you the strength to do something. And what do we do? We try, to, we try to make contact with the person we have harmed or hurt or wounded or wronged. Contact can be made in writing, calling. If the person rejects because they've been so hurt and they just cut you out, you could sometimes send an intermediary. Now, there are laws, which I'm not going to go into all the details. I've discussed this in previous classes and programs. And you could always look it up online at MeaningfulLife.com. Do a little search, Forgiveness... The rules of forgiveness, I've discussed it many, many times. But suffice it to say that you cannot just try once. You have to keep trying. Usually the limit is three times. Not to be a stickler on the number, but the point is that you've made attempts. Now, everybody has free will. The other person may say, you've hurt me so much, or I don't want to engage or or respond. They have their obligations, but you can't go demand anything because you're the one that was the perpetrator. So you have to make your effort. If for whatever reason that person is not responding, at least for now, your effort will be seen by God and by the cosmos, and therefore some correction will be made even if the person has not yet accepted your forgiveness or even allowed you to ask. Because you've done what you can do. Is that the full picture? Obviously not. We'd love that person to respond and maybe rebuild something. I'm just trying to cover all the bases here, because there, there are those scenarios. And as I said, the laws of asking for forgiveness, there are also laws of granting forgiveness. Not to be cruel and not grant. There are conditions. There are exceptions. All depending on what kind of hurt. Like someone will say, one second, if the Nazis, what they did to the Jewish people, now if someone's going to come from the Germans and ask for forgiveness, can we forgive? Do we even have the ability to forgive for what happened to our parents? or to others that are not our family members. So it's more complicated than just, okay, I'm asking for forgiveness, even if it's sincere. But still, if somebody is really sincere, there's always some type of correction that can be made. And even if they don't respond, you've done your part. So for right now, you have done your part to try to mend the circle. And God is watching. The spiritual forces of this universe are watching. And somewhere it will be rewarded if it came from a sincere place. Let's, however, take the next scenario where a person does respond at some point. So then there's a way of actually acknowledging and not just saying, "Hey, like many people try to do, they say, in case I may, you may f- felt that I hurt you, I want to tell you I didn't intend to do so. That often is very insulting because it's not you're acknowledging you hurt them. You're saying you were too sensitive or too weak and you felt that I hurt you, so I'm acknowledging that. That's usually not the way to go. I say usually because I'm sure there's some scenario, but I don't... You have to say very straightforward, I know I hurt you. It was wrong to do so. And I want to make amends. I want you to accept my apology, and I want to to tell me how we can reconcile. How can, can we correct this? What can I do? Straightforward like that. Any other type of beating around the bush and saying, I don't know if I hurt you, but people are telling me that you were hurt, or you feel hurt, and if, if indeed you feel, I apologize for you feeling that way. That's not apologizing what you did. You're apologizing that they, you're apologizing for them, that they're too sensitive. That's not the way to go. That's sincere, that's humble. How that person responds again, it can be different responses, but words that come from the heart enter the heart. And regardless, you have to do your part. Should the person respond, and we'll take that scenario now, okay, comes next step, they may say to you, let me think about it, here are things I think you can do. Obviously, it's case by case depending on what harm was done, what damage was done. Was it financial? Was it emotional? Was it personal? Was it an insult? How many other people were involved? Sometimes you may have slandered somebody and now millions of people are aware of that. How do you correct that? So this is by no means simple, but you've begun the process. And work with that person. And show that sincerity. And again, it's not just to, to correct what was done wrong, it's also you're fixing the universe in a certain way. You're repairing the circle through those amends. And what will come out of it can be an energy, or I should say not could be, will be an energy, that is unprecedented. Because the original circle before it was broken had its power. But now the mend, correcting it, needs even more power. And it can be an actually exhilarating experience. And Maybe that's not the right word, especially if pain was caused. But I think you know what I mean. Exhilarating in the sense where you're working on fixing something becomes a very committed and a very loving experience. Especially for someone you love, the someone you care about. Now remember, it's not your responsibility to speak for that person that you've heard. They have to respond. You can't and start saying, what can I do if they're not forgiving me? Then you're back and obsessing and consumed with yourself and your own guilt and your own being trying to be absolved of whatever it is that you've done. So that's not what we're talking about. Now, how much does one have to spell out? Do you have to go back and say, here's exactly what I did and so on? That's not so simple because sometimes it may be things that are not appropriate even to repeat. If a person really physically or sexually abused someone, you have to go back and describe everything that was done. That can really traumatize the person. But it has to be enough that the person knows that you're talking about it in a very specific way. And it's not just, oh, in case I hurt you in the last 30 years, I'm apologizing. No, it's specific. We know what we're talking about. And the person understands that you understand that you are accountable, and it wasn't just a general, amorphous, uh, blanket apology. Of course, different hurts require a different type of amends. Some are far deeper. People whose lives have been shattered, unfortunately, due to abuse, sexual abuse, especially in other forms. That still doesn't mean you can't make amends. It still means you need to acknowledge, and you need to. So it causes you to open up your own channels where you begin to breathe. And breathing is exhaling and inhaling and interacting with others. That's always healing. So the circle that we're talking about, the repair of the circle and the correction also makes you a healthier person. Because when you're self-focused, focused focused on yourself and your own self-preservation, and the process of stepped and hurt another person, what happens is, as a result, is that you yourself are being deprived of the give and take that life is so much built upon. The give and take you had with that person, instead of it being a healthy give and take, you took and instead, and returned and, gave, and hurt the other person in the process. The correction is like an opening up of a stuffed or blocked artery that allows it to breathe again, that allows it to circulate again. And that's a vital, vital, necessary point in all healthy things. When you look how nature works, when you look at at the bees pollinating the uh, flowers, if one thing does not do its job what happens is everybody gets hurt. Not just the one that's not receiving, but even the giver that was supposed to be giving is getting hurt. It's always reciprocal. So that just adds to the equation of how the circle is so vital, the circle of life, the circle of interaction, of cooperation. I would go even further, of um, interconnectivity. In the Hasidic terminology, it's called hiskalulus. Hiskalulus, interconnectivity. Not just things working together, but they're completely intertwined like a healthy organism is, where everything is doing its part and feeding the other and feeding off the other. Musical notes in one large composition. And that is the beauty of the harmony. So then when it comes to Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, we're not just atoning, and okay, we clean the slate. We're actually creating a new dimension a new dimension of a relationship, as I mentioned before. If you've been following the 60 days, which is the book I wrote this period of time, Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays, and we're sending out everyday emails, you can get it on WhatsApp, and of course the book. So many people following the exercises, you'll see that's the story. It's not just the story of love, love lost and love regained. It's a regaining that makes it far deeper. So what happened in Yom Kippur where Moses comes down from Sinai with the second tablets, those second tablets have a dimension that the first tablets did not have. Because now Moses became a leader, not just a teacher. He's no longer just a rabbi and a scholar, became a leader. He, the, he fought for and protected and preserved the honor of the people, even though they had sinned. Because he wanted hope. And with that, a whole new dimension was added. You read the Bible, you read the Torah, you'll see it says Moses came down. His face was glowing. He had to put a mask on because it was too intense. So most believe that that face, that that glow came after the second tablet. Why not after the first? Because the first was the law, the scholar, the law. Now the law is broken. And when you fix something after breakage, you reach a level of a glow that's far beyond qualitatively than anything before. It's a new dimension in love. So you'll find this. They say to err is human, to forgive is divine. But also to ask for forgiveness is divine. Because all of us, in the natural scheme of things, we hurt someone, eh, we move on. Maybe we ask for forgiveness at some point. But at best, it's uh, as I said before, it's just uh, just equaling the, the scales. But if you use it as an opportunity where you dig deeper, introspection, and you become, learn to love deeper because you've seen the damage done, then you come away as a new person. You have a new glow, a new level of refinement, a new level of majesty because you've been through the dark and you've discovered the light. It's a far deeper light than light that shines when there was nothing dark yet. So the circle becomes a far more powerful one. One that also is now unable to be broken because it's been broken. And that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So you've become stronger at the broken places. So when you think of it that way, it's not just about, okay, forgiveness, amends. It's about a whole picture. It's about taking the portrait of your life, the narrative of your life. And there have been breaches, and there have been many. And you are... Repairing it, its like uh, chips off a beautiful, um, magnificent masterpiece. You're repairing it, but now the repair has a profound element to it that was not there when it was first created. Because you see, you can go through the difficulties of life and not be destroyed by it, not be broken by it. And you could have hurt someone and you've learned to love them deeper and learn to make amends. And learn to correct it. And make it a more profound relationship. Than ever before. And this is especially true. When it comes to marriage. And personal relationships. Friendships. Close ones. Siblings. Unfortunately you see. Many at war with each other. Many don't talk to each other. For whatever. Usually very superficial money. Other things. They'll give you a whole case. Why it's horrible. My brother betrayed me. And it may even be true to some extent. But. Those that are able to transcend that and go deeper reach a level of connection that is far, far more powerful. And I've seen it. It takes effort, it takes courage, it takes energy, it takes a lot of effort because it's so easy to just blame everybody else and say, look, it's not going to work, we're just going to get back into the same trouble as we were in the first place. Or you learn, no. You learn to make things a lot more powerful. And that, my friends, is the story. So here we are in the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, leading up to the days of atonement. Atonement is also the word. Atone is at one. One, the one circle. Because you're repairing. When you atone for something, for it's something you've done wrong, to whomever, you are becoming one with it again, reuniting, reunion. At one which is what we're looking for. But it's a oneness now that has come from a break, a oneness that has come from fragmentation, a oneness that has come from a wreck, from a shattering, and therefore it's a far more profound, deeper oneness. As we shall say Yom Kippur night, right after Kal Nudre, the three times when we say that God responds to Moses after all the beseeching and crying and demanding for forgiveness and atonement, God says, yes, I have forgiven them as you've requested. The circle is complete again. And that's why it's the holiest day of the year. And then that leads right into what? Into the exuberant dance of Sukkot. Because then we can dance. Why wouldn't we dance at Sinai? To some extent we did on that holiday. Sinai, Nijil, Sinai, the holiday of Shavuos. But the dance was not complete because it was not yet tested. Now it's been broken. The tablets were broken. The relationship is broken. The circle has been cracked, has been severed. And then when it connects, we dance. And how do we dance? In a circle. Dancing is in a circle. Leading up to each day's Sukkot, it grows until what? Shminyat Sarat Torah. And how do people dance? Hakafot. What's a Hakafot? It's a circle. You surround, you go around the ark with the Torah and you dance in a circle. The circle is now a celebration because the circle has been has been repaired and now ready to hold and contain everything inside it. In this dance of infinity, which is the dance of Simchas Torah. So there my friends, we have a beautiful structure. The calendar reflects different stages of our own psychological growth and healing, including dealing with The amends that we need to make, the atonement, the return, the repairs, the corrections. So I want to wish everybody a very blessed, healthy year, a year of atone at one, discovering oneness in everything we do and with whomever we meet, especially with those that there may have been a break in the oneness. To go into this holiday, to this year in a very... um, Uniform way in a very, uh, I would say, uh, uplifting way, where we feel connected. Today we have a lot of crisis and attachment, attachment disorder. Some would define it, meaning a lack of attachment, detachment, to create attachments, to create love, to create unity. We are here for you in every possible way, especially this time of year. You go to meaningfullove.com. You'll see an array a wide array of resources on this topic and many others for how to use this time period to tap into its energy to help us all grow and make sure our relationships grow and thrive. And we look at this as a partnership, especially in this time of year, when we also increase in all our good deeds and kindness and generosity, and especially charity. I appeal to you to help us, to partner with us, financially as well as every other possible way By going to MeaningfulLife.com and donating, a recurring donation is really the greatest thing one can do because then it's ongoing and helping us to support and expand our ongoing uh, programs. And any suggestions you may have, anything we can do to help, any ideas, this is what we do, MeaningfulLife.com. We have especially this year created a Meaningful Yisker Memorial Wall which is really an online global wall, not localized. So if you'd like to honor a loved one with their yard site, just as we light a candle on Yis- for Yisker candle for Yom Kippur, send us that information. Just go to our site, look, look, up for the memori- look at the memorial wall, send us the information, the names, the dates, make a donation of any size you'd like. I'd be happy to honor that and immortalize them, which is the key word, immortalizing. Because that's what it's about. No life ever ends. Soul does not die. It lives on. But we need to create a structure. We need to channel that soul into our lives. The living shall take to heart. So we're doing this especially. began this year. for ready, The wall is already up. Yom Kippur is coming in a few days from now. And therefore there will not be a class next week because it's Yom Kippur, actually, next Wednesday. And there will not be a class the following week because of Sukkot. And we'll be together again Well, together all the time, but as far as the next new program will be in uh, three weeks from tonight. So everyone have a very blessed and sacred and unifying internally and external Yom Kippur and then exuberance, outbreak of joy and celebration of Sukkot. Be blessed. It should be a blessed and healthy year, a year of personal and global redemption. Thank you very much.